Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Michael Bell. Michael has over 26 years experience in the rental industry and is currently the CEO for Robert Bell Insurance Brokers. Michael, to kick things off, can you talk about how you got into the hiring rental industry? I got into it uh, because our agency, uh, I joined my father and uh, right out of college in 94, um, got a degree in hotel restaurant management and didn't realize, I realized, didn't realize, realized that I couldn't make any money at it. So I decided to go in the insurance business and he had a niche in the equipment rental industry. So it was kind of a normal um, following, I guess. Uh, so it's been since 1994. Okay, so your second generation rental, how did your father first get into it? He got into it in 1979. He uh, moved from, he hired, was hired by an agency called Holt Insurance. And Holt Insurance specialized in insuring equipment rental companies across the country. Uh, he joined them as a vice president and program director and worked for them from 79 until about 1983. And then in 1983, he went on his own and became a kind of a producer for them uh, and helped still manage their program. You know, it changed history forever as far as I'm concerned when he got into it. <laughs> Been into it ever since. That's interesting. So did you ever think that you would sort of follow your father's footsteps then? I, to be honest with you, sorry, Mark, I, I never thought I would, you know, like a lot of, uh, of you know, sons or, or, uh, or daughters of, of parents that they never thought they were going to follow in their parents' footsteps. I never really had a, uh, a, uh, a desire to go in the insurance business. But uh, again, I kind of, uh, you know, when you come out of college and you're looking to make money and, and you have a girlfriend and I said, well, then, you know, my dad had a job. I could go into it. Uh, he made good money over the years doing it and he seemed to enjoy it. And I felt, oh, I can do this. So uh, I decided to get into the insurance business. Again, it wasn't something I thought I would do, but looking back at it, I actually enjoy it. Uh, you know, um, insurance, the industry, what's nice about it is we get to meet a lot of interesting people who are in a lot of interesting fields and a lot of interesting businesses. And, you know, it's very broad spectrum. Um, and, you know, I, like I tell people how many, you know, I can go to a party and talk to somebody about, you know, my client rented a, a, a Bronto Skylift uh, that sends somebody 300 and something feet in the air. You know, um, not too many people can talk about interesting things like that. You know, it's definitely a, a, a good way to break the ice at parties when you talk about, you know, what my clients do and a lot of different clients. And it, it's just interesting, um, you know, where I used to think that the insurance business was, you know, the second thing next to working for the IRS, nobody wanted to talk to you. But actually, no, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, I've met a lot of interesting people, a lot of smart people. Um, and do a lot of things that are in businesses that I never even thought existed. And so are you associated with the American Rental Association? Well, we are a representative for the ARA Insurance. It's the division that's owned and operated by the American. Well, they, they operate separately from the American Rental Association, but they are part of the ARA. 
we are an appointed broker for the American, the ARA insurance out in California and Arizona. So that allows us to sell their products to our clients um, from an insurance perspective, from a risk management perspective, um, and get a lot of good things because uh, members, insurance members for the ARA do get a little added benefit from the ARA than non-insurance members. So that gives us the opportunity to really provide a well-rounded product uh, to our customers. And you mentioned your father's got into it in 1979. Like that must be one of the very first original brokers that is dedicated just for the equipment rental industry. When he first got into the business uh, back in the late, you know, 79, when he went to work for Holt, part of his business was, or part of his job was developing programs. So if an insurance carrier started to lose money in the rental industry and decided they didn't want to insure rental companies anymore, you know, you'd have to go out and find a new insurance company. So my dad had spent um, from 79 to about 83, he had started uh, four different programs over that four year period. Uh, unfortunately, back then the rental industry wasn't as, um, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't wanna say it wasn't safe back then, it's just technology caught up to them and, and, and in the equipment. So he was going through a lot of insurance companies. So uh, he would sit down with an insurance carrier, develop the coverages, the forms, the pricing model, uh, what was a good risk, what was a bad risk. He put all that stuff together and he had done it um, four times. And then in 1983, on his fifth time, he developed the program with St. Paul Fire Marine Insurance Company that turned into Travelers that lasted from 1983 until 2016, I think it was, 2017. So uh, that's how we came, sort of became the, uh, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't wanna say the, the father of the insurance from the rental industry perspective, but maybe so um, because of his, we're very unique from that standpoint that we are an agency that was involved in from the very beginning, I mean, Programs go back in the rental industry into the 60s, my understanding, but they really gained strength back in the 80s. And, you know, and I personally think that a lot of things we do today and how we insure them originated from what my father's ideas were. Uh, a lot of things haven't changed too much in the, what was it, 40 years almost uh, on how you insure them, how you, what forms you use, what clauses you use, all that stuff. That, you know, it's basically the same. And, um, you know, a lot of it, you know, revolves around what he came up with his ideas. Well, I think it just says something about the rental industry because your father and yourself have been in the industry for so long. So then you're currently the CEO. So what type of roles have you had over the years? Well, I, I started from the ground up, you know, I didn't work in the mail room, but it was pretty darn close. I was, I came in the business as a, uh, what we call customer service representative. My job was to handle the clients from issuing certificates of insurance, doing account uh, invoicing, um, filing paperwork. You know, back then it wasn't paperless. We actually had to file stuff in file folders. Um, did that first. Then I worked my way up into it, more of an accounting role, uh, paying the insurance companies and paying the clients if we had to refund money. Um, then I slowly got into sales. Um, you know, doing producer uh, work, um, you know, struggled, you know, being a salesman is not the easiest thing to do. It's, you know, in the insurance business or any sales business, uh, you have to really learn to handle rejection. Uh, you get, you get here no a lot. 
and then as we end up selling our business back in the 2003, so I actually went to work for somebody for four years. And then in 2007, when I left that company, I went back to my father. That's when I got more into a management role of administer, uh, making, you know, employee, hiring employees, laying employees off, direction of the company, uh, getting involved in program development as well. Um, you know, carrier relations, all that stuff that a typical, um, you know, CEO does. So I, I've covered the whole gambit of the insurance business. <laughs> There's not anything I haven't been or done. Uh, I like to say, tell people I'm not really great at anything. I'm just good at a lot of things. And so with you being in insurance, technologies come so far ahead with a lot of the OEMs and how they can support these rental businesses. Have you seen, how have you seen the safety aspect or the claims change over the years? Oh yeah, it's amazing. When I first got in the business, you know, one thing that was quite, would happen, I don't want to say frequently too much, would be with, for example, scissor lifts. You know, scissor lifts didn't have that stopping device, safety device, and, you know, if the wheels uh, sensed an uneven surface or a hole, it wouldn't, it would just keep on going. I mean, we've, we had several claims in the very beginning of, of you know, scissor lifts just toppling over because of the sensors that weren't there. And, you know, it, we've seen it just, just grow and morph into a much safer industry. Um, you know, equipment is safer today than it's ever been. Um, you know, yeah, people still get, get hurt. And, but I think a lot of it is, is, is strictly because of, of really poor operators where today the equipment's just safer. You know, um, it is quite amazing how stable the equipment is, how safe it is. And then the rental centers have done a very good job of training people and, and, and making sure that operators or rental customers know what they're doing. It's, it's been, it's been eye opening over the last 26 years. Was it all types of equipment or was there a certain class that was really ahead in terms of the safety aspect? It really originated more in the aerial business. The aerial, you know, scissor lifts and boom lifts, and of course forklifts. They've always had their certifications. You know, they were there to me. They were more in the forefront when it came to training and 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 familiarization of equipment, and that's worked its way into the more of the generalists as well now. Um, and we just don't see the claims like we used to from a liability standpoint. You know, very rarely do you see an operator error or an equipment issue um it, it's it's the equipment is just extremely safe today and again the 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 rental centers have done a, a very good job of really training their customers um and just making sure they understand what they're doing and uh it, it, again I, we've seen um I, the industry just the way it's changed in 26 years to me is amazing it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's still a lot of that blue collar, dirty hands type of people. Um, don't get me wrong. And those, those guys and ladies still exist and, and do a great job, but it's becoming a lot more sophisticated from a technology standpoint. Um, how equipment is rented, how equipment is trained on, uh, it's maintenance. It's just, um, uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So how have you seen the equipment rental industry change over the past 26 or so years then? You know, there's been a couple of uh, 
what we call consolidations over the years where the big boys come in and, and take up the, uh, you know, a lot of your medium to small rental centers. Uh, we were starting to see a comeback and then uh, recently, and then it seems to me in the last year or two, the, you know, the, the Sun Belts, the Uniteds of the world, um, the Sun States, the H&E types seem to be starting to um, consolidate a little bit more, but we are starting to see a lot of younger uh, pop, younger guys, a lot of uh, companies pop up now that are getting into the business because it is a, 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 it's a desirable business. It needs, you know, especially in the United States, because I believe, I don't know what the numbers are exactly anymore. And at one point, I think the United States, 30% of all equipment was rented, whereas in Europe, it was 70%, you know, um, in the United States, you know, contractors still own a lot of equipment here, but that is starting to change. And as that changes, you're going to see rental, rental companies pop up. You're going to see business grow. Uh, I think contractors are going to finally realize that maybe I don't need to own, invest uh, millions of dollars in equipment. I can have somebody else do that. Um, plus, it gives them more flexibility. So I still think there's a lot of growth in the rental industry, you know, especially if you compare it to the rest of the world. Yeah, I've seen, well, the one the contractors that I've spoken to, I've seen some that are trying to reduce their spend on, on re-rents that they put onto their job sites. And, and then others are looking to actually invest in their fleet and have a wider range. But it, it really depends because, yeah, contractors are looking at renting, renting externally as well. But it's got a very different purpose in terms of the equipment. Yeah, and the other thing is, again, it's back to what type of equipment, you know, what what's the inventory on hand? Um you know, rental centers have, you know, four or five of one item that just sit there because they need it. They may rent it, um, you know, or a contractor, you know, if I only need one scissor lift, I'm going to keep one scissor lift. They, they don't have the mindset that says, I need to go buy a hundred of them, or I got to have a diversity of, uh, of equipment. Do I need 16 foot scissors versus, you know, whatever, or, you know, 60, if I need 20, 60 foot booms, eight, 80 foot booms and 420 foot booms. You know, what happens if you find out, oh, I really needed 16 60-foot booms. So um, it, it's just a different mindset, a different utilization of how equipment is used and, and how you store your equipment. Um, I, like I said, I still think that the rental industry has a thing to do in the United States. Um, I don't see it as long as the economy keeps up going. I think it will continue to grow. The only thing that's going to hold the rental industry back anywhere is just the, it's asset intensive. That's the problem. I mean, it takes a lot of inventory to make a, a dollar. And that's the only problem I see facing the industry going forward is, you know, if you're a young guy or gal and you want to get into a business and you want to generate a million dollars, and in order to generate a million dollars, you need to go five to seven million dollars in debt. Yeah, it's kind of a small, that's a big pill to swallow. <laughs> that's the only issue I see facing the rental industry is the ability to make a dollar off of a smaller dollar value of equipment. But until rental rates go up to a more reasonable level, I think you'll, that's going to be a big stumbling block for people. Because again, you got to buy a lot of equipment to get into the business. Well, yeah, before I think, tool rental was like king it, the roi numbers were crazy but now the equipment is getting bigger and then also discounting 
companies are sort of getting forced in this corner of discounting, which is really bad. It does. I mean, there's, there's companies out there. I'm not going to name anything or, you know, buddy, but you know, rightly so. What would you rather do? Have it sit out in your yard doing nothing. You still got to make a payment on it. Okay. I can get 10 of them out there. You know, it's cost me a thousand dollars a month per um, um, scissor lift to keep them in my yard, but they're sitting there. I get them on that job site for $700 a scissor lift. I'm going to do it. And there are, there are companies that do that because they, they have the ability to do that. And, um, you know, someday that will change. Um, um, but, you know, one thing about the rental industry, like any industry that, you know, it, customer service does go a long way. Um, you know, I have clients that do very well because they treat their customer right. Uh, they respect them. They give them good quality equipment. They answer the phone when they have a question. Um, they're there to pick the equipment up on time. It works the whole nine yards. And, and sometimes that goes a lot farther than, Let's get the lowest rate out the door. Um, but you're still you know, like in the insurance. We have that in the insurance business. We have, you know, we can, I can sell. There's going to be people who look for the cheapest price and there's going to be people who look for quality as well. It's, it's in every business, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, just changing topics a little bit. I, I noticed that you push the childhood cancer awareness a lot on LinkedIn. I've seen you promoting this, the stickers as well on machines. How did you become affiliated with that? Unfortunately, I got into it because in December of 2018, my, uh, at the time, my uh, 12-year-old son uh, was diagnosed with stage four um, cancer called rhabdomyosarcoma. It's a soft tissue cancer. Uh, it had, um, over a two-month period, we were trying to decide what was wrong with them, and then all of a sudden, we found out that uh, they found a tumor the size of a grapefruit. And it had spread to his lungs. And uh, at the time, we didn't ask how dire it was. We didn't care. Uh, it was pretty dire. And um, as each month went by and I saw what he was going through, and, and I started to learn a lot about how little we do for childhood cancer um, or for children that have cancer, that um, I wanted to do something about it, even something small. And I thought about it. What could I do? Could I raise money? Could I go do a, join a race? Can I do something like I said, no, I decided that, uh, I was online one day, actually what it was an insurer, a former insurance client of mine, King, a company called King equipment. I remember on his website, he always had a pink, uh, boom lift for his daughter who, uh, unfortunately passed away from cancer. And I saw that and it, it came to my mind that, Let's do something like that. Now, I don't have the funds because this is something I do personally. I personally fund this thing. And uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get thousands of pieces of equipment in gold and childhood cancer stuff. That's going to be rather expensive. So I went out there and in order for, um, um, for copyright issues, trademark issues, I decided to go have my own decal um, created i paid the money had it created i wanted something kind of neat cool looking that can go on construction equipment and construction uh, trucks vehicles and so i had this decal made and it started off as a kind of a it's all been grassroots my uh, first decal was created by uh, or printed off by a, a client of mine uh, chris fix at hawkeye rent hawkeye equipment rentals in fontana 
has his own decal machine. And he says, let me print some up for you. So I gave him the decal. He printed some up. He put on a couple of his pieces of equipment and it kind of went from there. And, you know, it's, it's been slow. It's been, you know, it, it, I never realized how hard it was to really um, uh, market or advertise or to bring awareness to something until I got involved in this. Uh, you, you'd think it would be rather easy to post a few things on Facebook or LinkedIn. And before you know it, everybody in the world would be looking at it and wanting your decals. Yeah, it has been that way. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I, I've been pleased in how far it's gotten. Um, I wanted to go farther. Um, I think, again, we need to do more. Uh, I'm sure you've seen from my LinkedIn post that um, there are a lot of kids that battle cancer every year and we do not raise a lot of money for them. Um, we do from a personal standpoint, St. Jude's does a lot of good things, but um, uh, you know, I, 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 I just, it, it, I'm sorry for muttering here because it's just, it's so personal to me and it means so much to me that, well, like I've said before, I, I just want to change one person's view. You know, I'm hoping that that decal, wherever it may be, it might be in the streets of Chicago, LA, Phoenix, um, Atlanta, Georgia, and somebody's driving by a construction site or by a truck that's got that decal on it and they just think. Why, why, what's with childhood cancer? That's all I need them to do is think about it. Go back home, Google it, see what's going on with it. See what the stats, see what kids go through. Um, kids go through so much more than what adults do to go through because, you know, um, kids are going to develop long-term health problems for them. So if I can get one person to go home, Google it, look at it, decide, you know what? I want to become a, a, a pediatric oncologist. I want to get into working for um, some type of a pharmaceutical company to find a cure? Um, do I want to go out there and raise money? Do I want to go out there and, and donate my time volunteering at a children's hospital? If I can get them to do something like that, to me, is, is more important than anything else. Well, I, I really hope he recovers fully, and yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. And it's great to sort of see you pushing it so hard because I, I definitely see it on LinkedIn a lot. And and so if somebody wanted to get some stickers or they wanted to support it, how would they do so? Uh, all they have to, they'd have to email me at, at mbell at robertbellinsurance.com and tell me, give me your address and I mail them. It, everything's free. Um, I create the decals on my own dime um, um, because it's just, again, I, I'm doing this for awareness, not necessarily for money. Um, the fact that people are willing to put it on their equipment and their trucks to me is, is very meaning. It means a lot to me. Uh, it seems like a small gesture, but it's in my mind, it's not. Uh, it's 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 a huge gesture. Um, sometimes I think that goes farther than than donating money. I've had a couple of people that have donated money and have done my decals, and I, I thank them every day that I can. Um, it, but. Um, the more I can get out there, the better. And I mean, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could spend, if it cost me $25,000 to make decals, I'd do it tomorrow. I, you know, that's just me, me knowing that they're getting out there and somebody's going to see them. Because um, again, it just takes one person. That's all it takes. Because um, yeah. yeah. again, what my, what my son is going to go through 
it, you know, he's nine months in remission right now, um, but he's got a future potential of, he's got a 35% chance of developing a secondary cancer within the next 20 years. He's got a 99% chance of, by the time he's 50, of developing a, a, a certain uh, secondary health issue, whether it's heart problems, lung problems, uh, um, other cardio, um, other issues from a health standpoint. And, you know, it's hard to think that. And, um, you know, he, he, every three months we go get his test and, um, you know, it, it, it is hard. It's, it, it, watching a kid with cancer is a lot different. The reason why I know that is my father's battled prostate cancer and bone cancer and kidney cancer for 20 years. And it's been sad to watch what he's gone through. And, but when you, I tell people, if you really want to see somebody struggle, see a kid. I mean, there's number one, there's, they are strong. Don't get me wrong. My son has been through, through hell and back. And I don't, I'm a, I'm hundred percent positive. I wouldn't be able to handle it the way he did with a, still with a smile on his face. But, you know, it, it just, it is heartbreaking because we just, you know, we don't raise money enough and, it, and it's sad. And I think I saw you post some stats around cancer in kids as well, which, which sort of blew my mind, but could you just run through some of them? The numbers say on average, one out of 285 kids will get, will develop cancer by the time they're 20 years old. Um, roughly 15 to 16,000 kids every year are diagnosed with cancer in the United States. Worldwide, it's of course a lot more. Um, um, 1800 kids die every year from cancer. It's the number, it's the, it's a leading cause of death, uh, for kids in the United States is cancer. Um, and again, you know, 95% of all childhood cancer survivors will develop a secondary health issue by the time they're 50 years old. Most of it's related to cardiovascular issues because the chemotherapy is, is the chemo they get for a lot of kids hasn't changed in 34 years and it's very hard on the body and they know that because um, you're, you're, you're basically poisoning your child. I mean, I hate to say it and be so, so morbid about it. You are poisoning your child when you give them, when they give them chemo and it's very hard on the body. It's very hard on the various organs. Uh, his radiation treatment, uh, he had some radiation treatment on his lungs um, and in another area that, you know, again, he could lead to cancer as well. They can get another secondary cancer. Uh, it usually will stunt their growth, um, um, phys, uh, you know, from a physical standpoint. Um, a lot of them have other issues because they, you know, depending on what type of cancer it is, kids lose limbs on a regular basis because of whether it's bone cancer or, or uh, something like that. Um, you know, leukemia, I have a, a, my cousin, her son is going through leukemia right now. He's been treated, I think, for four years now, off and on for four years. And, um, you know, he's, I think he's 10. Um, it just, it was, I, again, before December of 2018, I had not a care in the world about childhood cancer. It didn't affect me. I saw the commercials on TV with St. Jude's. Well, what, what are those about? You know, those don't happen, you know, because my kids are perfectly healthy. You know, my son was perfectly healthy, you know, playing uh, American football and running around, 
uh, riding his bike everywhere, and before you know it, he had cancer. So, um, but now I look at and I tell people, who knows? There could be you know one out of two hundred eighty-five. You can go to your school. There could be there could be seven or eight kids there that will develop cancer, and um, so little time is spent on it. So little um, news is spent on it. I mean, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and I doubt most people know that. Uh, I wouldn't put it past if 70% uh, of the people out there didn't know that it was Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Um, you know, not saying that, that breast, I mean, breast cancer obviously uh, affects a hell of a lot more women every year. And I think uh, over 300,000 women every year are diagnosed with breast cancer. But, you know, we understand it because, you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Football players wear pink everywhere, and rightly so, they should. But when it comes to September, nobody knows because, you know, I, I put it on the fact that kids don't, can't speak for themselves. Kids don't run news programs. Kids don't run magazines. Kids don't run sports clubs. So uh, sometimes their voice doesn't get heard. And again, watching what my son's gone through, what other kids have gone through, you know, one thing that changed my life forever was uh, the first week we were in the hospital with my son, we were on our way. He was in a wheelchair. We were wheeling him to the uh, body scan because we were going to get a full bone scan of him to make sure the cancer hadn't spread to his bones. <clears throat> and a, uh, a child two doors down from our son had just passed away from cancer. She was six years old. And um, to see the, the, all those family members in there crying and, and trying to console each other, it, it hit home. It hit hard because here I'm wheeling my son down to see if he's got Hopefully it didn't spread to his lymph nodes or to his bones. And it's, it was, it's been hard ever since. And it'll be hard forever. I mean, it'll never go away. Yeah, you wouldn't want to wish that on anybody. And I can't imagine the strain that it sort of put on your family and the stress that you have gone through. And as I said before, I really, I really hope he recovers well. It's, it's, it, this past year and a half has been extremely hard. It, it's never out of the back of your mind. Um, every time he has an ache or pain, you think, you know, could the cancer be back? Um, you know, it's, it, it changes your viewpoint on life. Um, you really look at things differently in terms of what's important and what's not important. Um, family's always been important to me, but this is just put it over the top. Um, it has affected my work. I, I, you know, you know, there's times where, you know, you, you, you see him laugh or you see a video of a kid or you see the picture of him in my office. You think about it. You don't want to think of the negative aspect of it. Um, it, it's, it's, um, constant doctor's visits and, um, you know, my wife is, you know, like any mother, she is concerned, you know, you know. You know, last week he had his scans, his quarterly scans, you know, we, you know, three weeks leading up to his scans, all you can think about is the scans. You don't think about other things in your life. And it is hard, um, you know, especially when they're so young like that, you know, he's now 13. Um, you know, yeah, he's a teenager, but still, he's still very innocent. And being just a young boy, like it just must have been like a lot in terms of the mental side as well on trying to recover and, and, and stay positive, I guess. Oh yeah. I mean, well, he's very, he's, he's an amazing kid. He, 
we try to be positive. There are times where I think one reason why he's done so well has, has been his own, his own mental uh, uh, ability. He's very strong. Um, he's always believed that he was going to beat this. Um, he's only asked us twice whether he was going to die, uh, which was hard to answer that question. Um, you know, because your first, your answer is always going to be no. Um, but, uh, you know, he believed it and he believed it ever since. And he's very strong willed. He, uh, he really, uh, I think that's part of his strength is his whole mental toughness. Um, I think a lot of us who go into things where we're not mentally tough or we're down on ourselves or, or, or we're not going to do it. I think that is, that, that works against us more than we think we, it does. And he's been extremely strong, but from our, our perspective, I, you know, I think he's a lot stronger than we are <laughs> to be honest with you. Cause I see him. It's like, you wouldn't think he faced this. He had, you wouldn't think he had faced death in the face. Um, he he acts like he just had the common cold and it was just part of life. Well, if he takes that mentality into other parts of his life, he's going to have a very bright future because, yeah, it's something very tough to get over and and uh, it sounds like you guys have supported him really well. And, and anyone listening, please do reach out to Michael and uh, ask for stickers, support the charity. We'll put links in the description. But yeah, I'm sure the rental industry, I've seen so far, they've helped you. And anyone else that is interested in, in getting stickers on their machines, reach out. And I think the, I, you know, the rental industry, I, I am firmly believe that they can make a difference. I really do because they, it's a very close-knit industry. It's an industry that's very active. It's very uh, visible. And um, I really believe they can, they can make a difference. Now, just getting back to rental, what what advice would you give to somebody that's new to the rental industry? Patience. Be patient. Everything happens. You know, we all wanted things to happen yesterday, and, and um, um, but they don't. Things, you know, it, you know. And when I was first in the business, I wanted to write every rent, every rental yard on the street, and I never wanted to lose or. You know, why is that guy more, so why is that guy writing more business than me? Um, you know, why aren't we growing? I was always that way. And now that I look back at it, I would tell my, myself to be more patient, understand that things happen for a reason. Uh, you're not always going to be successful right out the bat. Nobody is. Um, just work hard and um, understand that your time will come. And, uh, um, you know, my life would have been a lot easier if I would have been more patient. Um, um, you know, because yeah, things will make it. If you if you come to work every day and work hard and and learn your craft as best you can, that's what I try to have done over the last twenty six years. You will be successful. Um, you know, success is not always based on money. Uh, a lot of times, success is based on other things. Um, my son, what he went through with his cancer changed my viewpoint on that a lot, um, that there's more to success than money. And, um, you know, having an opportunity for your family, um, um, being able to spend time with them, uh, to me, is the ultimate success. And that's what I look at my businesses, is when I write business, I try to grow this thing is to give me some free time for my family, you know. 
that free time means being able to take an afternoon off and I take an afternoon off. Um, you know, my phone's always with me. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm always connected, but to me, taking an afternoon off to spend time with your family, go see your kids, um, your wife, that to me is, is worth more than, you know, writing the largest rental company. I, you know, as much as I would love to write, let's say, Sun State, okay? I'd love to write Sun State, a big company, or Ahern. Well, if I don't get that, but instead, you know, I'm told that I could spend more time with my family, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I really am. My younger days, not so much. I'd have I was going to say, yeah, say, if you uh, if, yeah, if you go back 20 years, I'm sure you would have been a very different... Uh, oh, big time. Big time different. I would have taken that thing and, you know, let's go write every account and, and make tons of money and, and all that kind of stuff. But Again, looking back at it, I would I would told myself, don't be more patient, be a more understanding, be more uh, accepting, um, especially in the insurance. Because, like I said in the very beginning, the insurance has got a lot of rejection, and um, you know, if you don't take it well, you, this job and this career can be very long. And in the very beginning of my career, I didn't take rejection too well, <laughs> so. Um, you know, but, you know, so I, when I tell my new producers, same thing is, 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 you know, be, you know, be level-headed, you know, time will come. And so let's stay on the rejection side for a little bit. Like what, what did you personally learn through the years or months of, of, of maybe the rejection and, and how has that sort of improved you personally and in your career? And one, it makes you stronger. You got to, you know, it makes you um, like anything, anything that you fail at or, or you know, rejection is like is failure. If you fail at something, you've got to learn from it. And why did you, why did you get rejected? Was it the way I presented my proposal? Was I rude? Was I, uh, did I come across as not knowing my product? Was my product too expensive? Um, you know, in the very beginning, I took it personal where, you know, you know, that guy didn't know what he was talking about or what did I do wrong? I'm not good at this. Where now I look back, okay, I didn't get it. Why? Okay. You know, this was too expensive. Uh, maybe it could have came across a little bit better on why my product is better. Um, even though I've been doing this for 26 years, you know, I'm not the best salesman. You know, I, I couldn't sell snow to an Eskimo. I can tell you that right now. Um, or, you know, water to a fish. I couldn't do that. Okay. I'm not that good of a salesman, but, um, you know, I, I know that. So I look at other areas as to what I do wrong or why I don't win. And, you know, yeah, money's all, I mean, you know, one thing I learned in the insurance business from my father was, you know, there's three things that sell insurance, price, 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 but not everybody's that way. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of business owners that way and rightly so. Um, you know, our, our industry has made it that way. We are very, we've commodity, turned it almost into a commodity insurance, but still I know that, you know, if I don't get an order or I'm too high, you know, maybe I didn't explain myself about our program or, uh, you know, maybe I need to add a, a different service for my agency that, you know, maybe that's why he would, he or she didn't buy it from me. So, you know, rejection is about learning. And, you know, again, in insurance business, you get rejected a lot. And so I like to ask everyone this question. How do you define success? And what was a defining moment for you? 
I mean, I, I was already learning, but you know, a defining moment well, obviously was my son, what happened to him. But again, I look at success as time uh, more than anything else. Uh, yeah, you know, everything in this world revolves around money, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, you can have all the money in the world, doesn't make you happy. So um, my idea of success is, again, is time, being able to spend time with your family, having the freedom um, to spend time with your, uh, your family. Not everybody has that ability. I mean, people might want to spend time with their family, but they just don't have the freedom to do so. Um, one reason why I work so hard in this company and, and I keep this company going, you know, you know, people have offered to buy us is, is it, I don't want to work for somebody. I don't want to lose my freedom of being able to make my own hours, make my own time, you know, um, um, you know, but, you know, if I want to leave at two o'clock to go see my kid, I want to go, you know, in a soccer game. I, I have the freedom to do that. And when, when my son, you know, my youngest son was diagnosed with cancer, that hit home because, you know, I looked at him like, how much time does he have left? And do I want to be spent, you know, running around all over the West Coast trying to write rental insurance? Yeah, you know, sure, it'd be kind of cool, neat, but you know, that means I got to spend three or four weeks away from my family in a giving quarter or, or half of the year. No, it's not worth it. Um, so to me, success is based on that. Um, and I know it's selfish at times, to, you know, but, uh, you know, people, if, if people were in my shoes, I think they would feel the same way I do. Yeah, I think it's just all about finding that right balance for your life at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm still available and I still take calls from my clients at, at six o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock at night or on weekends or um, um, September is, you know, uh, not just as a childhood cancer awareness month, uh, there's an organization called the Great Cycle Challenge that I signed up for and my sister signed up for where we ride our bikes during the month and we try to raise money. And, you know, I was on my bike ride at, at five o'clock, you know, going about 15, 20 miles an hour down the road, my clients call me and I'm trying to answer the phone. Um, you know, I'm going to answer the phone from the guy. It, 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 but uh, I don't necessarily, you know, when I spend time with my family, you know, I also understand that my clients are the, are the reason why I'm there as well, why I have that time. And if I have the time to give to them, if it's a minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, I'll do it. Um, because again, they are the reason why I'm able to spend the time with my family that I do. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of good clients, a lot of loyal clients that, you know, through this difficult time that I've had have, uh, have been there. And, and um, you know, I think as an organization, we're very fortunate for the type of clients that we have, um, uh, you know, because again, you know, for basically for six months, I was gone. You know, you know, I was there, but mentally I was not here. And between my clients and my staff, I don't know where I would be. Um, because again, it was, it's, it's, it's continue a difficult time. It's great to hear that you got the support from your employees and, and, and more importantly, from your clients as well. Like you must really have a strong, strong relationship with your, your customers. Oh, yeah, and again, my 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 clients, I, I I they go back a long way. A lot of them were my dad's clients. Um, you know, we try to do our best for them and, and provide them the best 
quality policy and best price and the greatest service. We know we're not the only insurance agent out there. So, you know, we do appreciate that because again, we're not the only one and they trust us to do something. And, you know, we want to make sure we deliver that back to them and that trust. It's important. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like a company motto for me. I mean, it, when you, when you have a client that trusts you so much for their business to consistently provide something to them year in and year out, you don't want to let them down. That's great to hear. And look, you're obviously doing a great job with everything that you've got going on in your life as well. Well, this about wraps up our discussion, Michael. I really appreciate you sharing your story and some of your insights on the Rental Journal podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Please share, follow the Rental Journal podcast and make sure you reach out to Michael to try and get one of his childhood cancer awareness tickets for your machines as well. Thank you.